Um, yeah, as Hattie was saying, I am doing the leadership development year, but I studied here in Bristol. But um, I'm even poorer now as, an in, as a church intern than I was as a student. Um, so I, yeah, so alongside doing the LDY, I also, I studied law, so I worked part-time for a law firm. Um, and yeah, I just followed God when, where he was leading me. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm spending the year here at St. Nick's. And I have the absolute privilege of bringing the last installment of our series we've been looking at together, Encounters with Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I have been extremely challenged, equally challenged and convicted and encouraged by some of the messages we've looked at together over the last few weeks. And I think we can often get distracted by so many other things, but this series has been an invitation to come back to the main thing, to come back to Jesus and encounter him again, recenter, refocus our attention on him. We have looked at the miracles he performed, the people that he encountered, and ultimately the lives that he changed. And so today I'm going to look at this passage that Hattie read to us in Luke 4, 14 to 30. And I'll suggest keeping a tab on Isaiah 61 because this passage references to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And now this passage comes at the start of Jesus' ministry, Jesus' public ministry. Jesus has just been baptized in chapter 3, and we see this incredible moment where the heavens open and the Father declares, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. But after his baptism, Jesus in chapter 4 is led into the wilderness and for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus is tempted. And it is after this that our passage picks up. Now, before an election period, a, a political party would draft what is called a manifesto. And in a manifesto, a manifesto contained the different policies that they hopefully hope to implement if elected to govern. And now, in many ways, Luke 4. 14 to 30 can be seen as Jesus's mission statement, Jesus's manifesto. And I think it's so powerful and I love how Jesus just finishes with this line and this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And when I was chatting to Joss, he suggested that I just drop the mic and walk off at that point. And so in other, way, in other words, we can look at kind of all of what Jesus did through the lens of this passage, through this manifesto, through this declaration of his kingdom. This was at the very heart. This passage shows us what was at the very heart of Jesus's ministry. So what is this manifesto? What is, this, what is at the heart of Jesus's ministry and what can we learn from this encounter? Well, verses 18 to 21, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
Jesus' mission, Jesus' manifesto means good news to the poor. And if we look at this different verses, it's clear to see what Jesus' heart is for the poor. And I think often we kind of have an interpretation of the poor just meaning maybe spiritual poverty. But I believe there's a double meaning to this verse, a double meaning to what Jesus means here. He's referring, yes, to those who are spiritually poor, which I'll look at, and also those who are materially poor. So firstly, the gospel is good news for those who recognize their neediness of God, for those who cannot do anything without him. And I think for me, I found that the danger is that I kind of sit in this being spiritually middle class, I'd say. Like, I go to church, so you know what, I'm doing okay. I might sin, but actually some of my friends who don't really love the Lord are probably in a worse boat than I am. So I'm, I'm doing all right. But actually, there is no spiritual middle class. I want to remind us that we're all desperately in need of God's grace. We never graduate from needing God. We never graduate from our dependence on him. In fact, I, I realize that the, more, the closer I get to Jesus, the more I realize I need him even more. I need him for the breath in my lungs. I need his grace. I need his love. I need his forgiveness, his hourly. Secondly, forgiveness. He knows that I need it. The list is endless. I am spiritually poor without God. And therefore, there is no spiritual middle class. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God and are so desperately in need of his forgiveness, of his redemption. And Billy Graham was an American evangelist. Um, he was known for these large-scale crusades, these conferences where many became Christians. And during altar calls, they'll play one of my absolutely favorite hymns, and it's called Just As I Am. And I just want to read out a verse from there. And it says, just as I am, poor, wretched, blind, sight, riches, healing of the mind, yea, all I need but in thee to find. O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Sight, riches, healing of the mind, all of this I need, but I find it in Jesus. We need God, we're dependent on him, we're poor, we're wretched, the Bible says this, this is not just my own words, we're blind without him, this is the truth. But I love how in Jesus' sermon of the mount, Matthew 5, 3, he says, his first declaration is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, because their reward is the kingdom of God. And I wonder how many of us today can sit here and recognize our need for a savior. I think this is the start, right? How many of us can sit here and recognize our need for Jesus? Maybe some of us today have walked into church feeling weary because we've kind of gotten so used of this state of doing life by ourselves and I do this all the time. And I wonder why I'm so exhausted because I'm carrying stuff that I was never really meant to be carrying. And I was meant to do it with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. But Jesus longs to meet all your needs. His manifesto means good news for those who are poor in spirit. 
but also his kingdom mission is manifested means good news for those who are materially poor. And I think it's, it's impossible actually to read the Bible without seeing God's heart for the poor, for the needy amongst us. And as I said earlier, I think the danger in this verse is kind of we interpret it in this one aspect, but actually there are some people who for this verse they can cling to because they, they have nothing. But Jesus' mission is good news for those in poverty. It's good news for those in need materially. And I love these different verses, which I'm just going to read to us. Proverbs 20, 13. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. This is our mission as disciples. 1 John 3, 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him. Isaiah 41, 17, when the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. Jesus' manifesto means good news to the poor. And we get to partner with God tonight. We get to partner with God to bring this good news to the poor. And now I just want to look at what did it kind of mean to be poor at the time that Jesus is writing and declaring this mission. To be poor meant to be an outcast, to be treated as an other. You're kind of not really welcome. If you're poor, there was no room for you around the table. And it wasn't just those who were poor who were kind of in this category. It was the leper, it was the tax collector, the paralytic man, it was the sinful woman. All these different groups of people treated as outcasts. But I think a lot of us can agree that as we read the Bible, we're challenged at the people that Jesus chooses and sees and points out the crowd. Jesus longs to bring good news to these groups of people. Jesus longs to bring his good news to those who are materially poor. And a lot of the times that the miracles that Jesus performed are those that put those people who were once outsiders, once outcasts, they're placed back into this place of community. Those once on the margins of society, restored back into community. And that's our mission tonight as disciples, as followers of Jesus. Will you partner with him in his mission? Will you join him in his manifesto? to see the marginalized, to see those oppressed, those once outsiders, unwelcomed in God's kingdom? Would we open our church doors and see this place filled? Would you be able to extend maybe your seat and share your seat with someone who's homeless? Because this is the people that Jesus came to. And this is the challenge for all of us that would open our arms and extend that welcome to God's family. And so Jesus' mission, Jesus' manifesto means good news for the poor. And secondly, I want to look at how Jesus' manifesto means freedom for the captives and the oppressed. And we find this in verse 18. And now as Jesus was kind of reading from this scroll in Isaiah, those listening would have understood what it means to be, cap to be, ca to be kept in captivity. 
And as we read from this, um, from the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, the Israelites, the Jewish people had experienced 400 years of captivity in Egypt. But as we know in the story, God sends a deliverer. He sends Moses who leads them out of this captive land into a land of promise, this land full of milk and honey. And so they would have been like, okay, we kind of understand what it means to be captives, but why is Jesus declaring this message of freedom to the captives when we're not necessarily in a foreign land or we're not necessarily captive? But Jesus was speaking to a much deeper captivity that all of us have fallen short of. Jesus wants to free us from that captivity of sin. And so many of us can live in captivity. So many of us can live bound by chains that we're never meant to walk in or meant to carry. I don't know, we can have chains of alcoholism and we can justify, oh, it's fine, or pornography. Some of us are bound by our phones, which are not necessarily bad, but we're bound by people's opinions. We're bound by their comments and the likes on Instagram, all of the endorphins that come from that. We're bound by unforgiveness, you name it, whatever takes the place of God in your life. But Jesus is saying, I've come so that you might be free. I've come so that you might experience freedom and life in all its fullness. Ultimately, every chain is broken by the blood of Jesus. There is no addiction too deep that his love cannot break. There's no chain too strong that Jesus' blood cannot break. And I remember just before um, I came to uni, I, um, two years actually before I came to uni, I had um, this group of friends at school and they, I kind of known them for a really long time throughout my school life. And we had a pretty epic fallout that everyone was involved, the parents, the teachers, the moms, the grandparents, you name it, everyone was, wanted to have a bit of a say in this. And I remember there were things and certain words that were spoken over me and I was really hurt. And I remember kind of my mom being like, Betty, I think you, you've got some bitterness you're carrying. But I didn't want to admit it. I didn't want to um, like open my heart to forgive. I wasn't ready. And I would often sit in church services where the altar call, I just knew they were going to come and be like, is there anyone here with unforgiveness in their hearts? I feel like we need to pray for you. And I didn't really want any of that. And I kind of ran away and wiggled my way out of these situations for two years. But in my first year of uni, I was actually in this building and I was sitting there and it was the ministry time again. And someone walks up and it's like, I feel like there's someone who just needs to let go. And I feel like they need to get prayer. God wants to set them free this evening. And I kind of, I just knew it was me. My heart was racing so far. So I kind of waddled to the front and just stood there like, okay, it's me. I've kind of been running. But here I am, and I remember someone prayed for me, and God really set me free from the unforgiveness and the heaviness that comes with that, that I have been carrying. Jesus' manifesto means good news for the captives. It's good news for those who feel bound and don't really know how to even start with unbreaking and undoing the chains. I don't know what's keeping you bound and captive this evening. 
But I know Jesus longs to set you free. He longs to undo the chains. He longs to break the chains that keep you bound. Jesus' manifesto is good news for the bound, for the captives and the oppressed. But also Jesus' manifesto means recovery of sight to the blind. And throughout his ministry, we can see Jesus healing those who are physically blind, afflicted by, by physical blindness. But often the miracles that Jesus uh, performs and does often point to a much deeper root. This physical restoration of sight points to a physical restoration of sight to our hearts. And in Luke 18, as we see um, a healing of physical blindness, in Luke 18, Jesus heals the blind beggar. But I love the story of the blind man in, in Mark 10. And the beauty of this story is that even before this man can see, he exclaims, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. He recognizes that Jesus is his savior. And in this kind of strange exchange, Jesus asks him, knowing and seeing that the man is blind, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And I think this is a question that Jesus is asking all of us. What do you want me to do for you? How can I open your eyes? If you need sight, what can I do for you? How can I open your spiritual eyes that you might see me? Those walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those walking in darkness can have their eyes opened by the Lord. And I love the story of John Newton. Um, he's known, famously known for writing the hymn, Amazing Grace. And this was a man who grew up without a faith. He was involved in the slave trade. And whilst he was traveling one day, a violent storm battered the ship that he was on. And in a panic, he kind of just cries out, like, God, have mercy on me. But he marks, he remembers this moment as the moment that he accepted Jesus in his life. And he would go on to study theology. And in 1764, he was ordained as a vicar in the Church of England. And I'm amazed at how a man who once traded and sold human beings, who would be so radically changed by the love of God, who have God open his eyes, take off the scales that he can see, and he would go on to become a slave trade abolitionist. And he would go on to pen these lyrics, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, a saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. I was blind, but now I can see. He once was blind, but he now could see God. And God completely transforms his life. God completely transforms his heart. Just like he did with the Apostle Paul when he met Jesus, a man who once persecuted and killed Christians, has this encounter with God and the scales fall out of his eyes and finally he could see and goes on to become one of the greatest evangelists that we've ever seen. He once was blind, but now he could see. And I was um, on the Alpha weekend last week um, and I, it was such a great, great, great weekend just seeing people encounter the Holy Spirit, some people for the first time. 
and I just could see like people like just being really excited. I think sometimes we can forget what it means to have faith and what it means to know Jesus. But I saw these people just encountering the Holy Spirit, meeting his love, knowing for the first time in their hearts that God loves them. And I remember chatting to one of my guests and she was like, I could see before, but now it feels like I'm seeing in color. I could see before, but now it feels like I'm seeing in color. He wants you to see in color tonight. He wants to open your eyes that you would see him. He wants to take off the scales from your eyes. And maybe you've been a Christian for a while and you're like, yeah, I know all these things. And maybe your faith kind of feels stale, but he wants to bring his good news to you. He wants to open your eyes that you might see him. Jesus' manifesto means recovery of sight to the blind. And now I think as we read this passage, as we look at these different declarations, the most confusing thing as we read, I think, is the reaction from those in the synagogue. Jesus is declaring this good news of freedom to the captive, of, of healing of the blind and opening and recovery of sight and all of these things. But that's not the reaction that I would expect from such good news. In verse 28, it says, all the people in the synagogue were furious at what they heard. They got up and drove him out of the town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. They don't really want Jesus to rule in the way that he wants to rule. They want a savior, but they want him on their own terms. And in Jesus's, um, at the time that Jesus is sharing and proclaiming this message, the Jews would have been awaiting a Messiah, a Savior, who would lead them to victory. They were looking for a political figure who would lead them with force and with power. He would punish their en enemies and he would restore all that had been stolen to the, um, all that had been stolen from them, from their enemies. And so Jesus standing up and reading Isaiah 61 as a passage they would have all memorized and known very well would have looked extremely promising. Finally, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the one we've waited for? Could this be the one who would bring the year of vengeance of God? Could this be the one who would bring God's judgment on their enemies? But they don't get what they expected. Instead, he edits parts of Isaiah 61. He doesn't declare the day of judgment or vengeance to come, but he instead proclaims the year of God's favor, this year of jubilee to come. And in Leviticus 20, 25, the year of jubilee is explained to us as this year, um, every, fifth, every 50th year, it was a time of releasing those who were captive, the prisoners, those who were enslaved. They were all set free. Property was returned back to its original owners. And everyone would have been really confused at why Jesus is taking this passage in Isaiah 61, this message of judgment, and actually turning it into a message of hope, of rescue, a message of redemption. And to kind of make the situa situation worse, he ends with this line, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
In other words, I'm not just the heralder of this good news. I am the kingdom bringer. I am the one who's going to bring the outworking of God's kingdom here on earth. I'm not just bringing the message. I've come to be the message. In other words, he's screaming to them, I am the Messiah. I am, I am the one you've waited for. I am your savior. But they were so confused. How could the boy who we've grown up with, we've kind of grown up going to synagogue together, how could this man be the savior? How could Jesus be the Messiah? How could he be the one we've waited for? And I think the same is true for us today. We can not fully receive the good news. We cannot fully receive this invitation, this kingdom manifesto in Luke 4 without accepting our need for Jesus as our savior. We can't fully receive Jesus as manifesto, Jesus' kingdom without receiving and knowing that he is king. And so maybe some of you today feel materially poor. You need to know that God is your provider. Maybe you've come here being like, I actually don't have much in my bank account, don't really have much to my name and need to know that he is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is my provider. Or maybe you feel moved by Jesus' heart for the poor, for those in need, and you feel a burden to go to be his hands and feet. Well, you can carry this mission, you can carry this kingdom manifesto to be a light to those who need to hear it. Or maybe you feel like you've walked into church feeling like you're dragging chains through the door. Maybe you're trapped in cycles of sin and patterns that I've been here before and I've prayed before. I've prayed that God will set me free before and I have and I've gone a few weeks or a few days but I'm trapped again and I feel caught again. And you need to know that Jesus longs to set you free. He longs to free you from anything that holds you captive. Or maybe you want to see, you want Jesus to open your eyes that you would see him. Or maybe you've grown up in church, you've known God your whole life, but actually maybe through lockdown you feel like, oh, I lost my faith. I lost the heart of why I do this. I lost the heart of why I even come to church. And Jesus is saying, what can I do for you? How can I open your eyes? How can I open your eyes? He's the same yesterday. He's the same today. He's the same forever. Jesus' mission remains. He still longs to bring this message of victory, this message of freedom to you today. And maybe some of us are sitting here being like, yeah, I've, I've received this kingdom manifesto and I know it to be true. I know that Jesus is my savior. I know Jesus is my liberator, but the invitation for those of us who are in that place and for all of us is very simple. Freely you have received, freely you must give. And we are God's hands and feet. And through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we can see the outworking of God's spirit, of God's kingdom alive in us, out of the world around us. You can take his kingdom mission to your schools, to your university, to your workplace, wherever the Lord has you planted. We can see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. 
And so I want to say to us today, I want to say to us this evening, the spirit of the Lord is upon you because he has anointed you to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent you to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the Lord's, the year of the Lord's favor. The spirit of the Lord is upon you because he has anointed you to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent you to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. He has sent you to set the oppressed free. He has sent you to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus tells us in John 14, 12, whoever believes in him will do the same works that he did. But he doesn't stop there. He promises that we will see even greater works, we'll do even greater works than he did. And so we can go from this place empowered that God longs to bring his kingdom mission. He longs to see the outworking of this manifesto through us and he longs to partner with you this evening. And so as the band comes up, I'll love to pray for us. Yeah, Jesus, I thank you so much for this passage that the spirit of the Lord is on me. The spirit of the Lord is on you. I thank you so much, God, that we don't have to do any of this on our own, but it's your spirit that empowers us, that, that gives us vision, Lord. And Father, I pray that will be your hands and feet to a broken world that desperately needs to hear the message of Jesus. And for those who need recovery of sight, Lord, for those who've walked in with chains this evening, Lord, would, be, would this be the night that you set them free? Would this be the night that you set them free, Jesus? For those who feel like they're trapped in different patterns of sin and, yeah, and they just feel oppressed by, by, yeah, by sin, Lord, I pray that this would be the night that they can remember, that you mark them with freedom, that who the Son sets free is free indeed. Thank you, Lord. Would you like to stand as we worship together?